From the University of Notre Dame, I'm Andy Fuller, and these are Notre Dame Stories. Today, a look at ideas that are addressing major food-related problems. First, a potential breakthrough on peanut allergies, and then what Notre Dame is doing to help kids get the nutrition they need so they can focus in school. More than 50 million Americans suffer from some form of allergy. Three million of those are peanut allergies, and that number is growing. Yet there remains no medicinal cure for allergies. Treatments are designed to help a body endure the symptoms of a reaction, not prevent it. And that is where Associate Professor of Engineering Bashar Bijisher comes in. He's developed an inhibitor treatment that could stop an allergic reaction to peanuts. We'll get to that in a minute, but we pick up our conversation as Bijisher describes what drew him to allergy research in the first place. Of course, when it came to an application, I was always looking for, and I still do, uh, an area that excites me, an area that I feel that I can make a contribution in that, you know, perhaps has been overlooked or perhaps from my point of view, um, you know, maybe no one from my perspective ever actually approached uh, that specific problem. So I come and I, you know, study different diseases, conditions, and I, what I really would like to do is, this is true for any of the fields of research that I do in my lab and I uh, plan to do, of course, coming from a basic science background, I would l- love to see the basic science research and investigation carried out in my lab. But I would love to also see an application, an end point, uh, you know, somewhere that this research can actually have, make an impact, a positive impact in an area of diagnostics, and any treatments, inhibitions, anything of that sort that can help alleviate people's suffering for um, medically health-related conditions. So that's what excites me. Mm. And when it came to allergies, I uh, realized a niche that I could contribute in. Mm. Was there something about peanut allergies specifically uh, that uh, narrowed that focus? You know, there are allergies of of all kinds, of course. Uh, I'm allergic to penicillin. Um, So was there something about peanut allergies that that caused you to kind of zero in there? Well, uh, allergies, uh, yes, it's it's very common. And, and, you know, we um, perhaps envision that all allergies are similar, but it's not exactly true. Of course, Mm -hmm. the the drug allergies and the food allergies are much more specific. It's really those specific molecules within the allergen that causes the reactions. You know, for in peanuts, you have you know hundreds of different proteins and you know, mm. lipids and you know other molecules that could potentially be the cause. Uh, so what made it possible for me to investigate this area is actually building up on others' research. Mm. People who work in the clinic and people who work in uh, with proteins, they identified the molecules that were critical in the peanut allergy. So I started studying those molecules. I started looking at those molecules and their components. And then uh, because that was available, we started asking, we were able to ask questions that we did 
to uh, evaluate which one of those were really more critical, more significant in the allergic responses so that we can specifically inhibit those small portions of those components to block the whole allergic response. And, and because that knowledge was available, I was able to build up on top of it and um, design the molecules that we have come up with. Mm. You brought up penicillin, though. Um, we just published a paper less than two months ago on penicillin inhibition. Actually, we have ah. inhibitor for penicillin as well. Okay. Well, I'm very interested. <laughs> I, mean, I think we've all we all know or you know know of someone who, usually a child who has a peanut allergy, That's severe, um, and you know it. Uh, you hear about you know school cafeterias having to you know make them peanut free and and just really kind of extensive measures uh, to to combat these things. You kind of alluded to it, but I wonder if you could get a little more specific. What is it that happens uh, in the body that causes these reactions in people who are allergic to peanuts? Okay, so going back one step, though, pretty evidence from you know our surroundings and our friends and, and neighbors and people we know who have children, typically, who have allergies mm. for peanuts, that there's an increasing number of children with peanut allergy conditions. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't really know anyone with peanut allergies. Yeah. Right? And then perhaps uh, kids who were in high school 10, 15 years ago, uh, they started having, you know, one child, another one, you know, a couple of students who are allergic to peanuts. And now um, there are schools that are entirely not free. They wouldn't allow mm. any peanuts or peanut containing, you know, foods on the school premises. Mm -hmm. So it's it's gotten that drastic there are, i think the statistics is that there are nine percent of the children who are younger than 10 have food allergies okay and a big number of them are peanuts mm -hmm. hmm. so so yes it is uh, a serious concern and and the way that it works and our understanding of the allergy is that when the allergen is ingested or sometimes even in the powder form you know, somehow inhaled mm. the allergen molecules the particles it's there these are proteins in the peanuts would go and bind to these antibodies the antibody molecules that recognize these uh, allergen molecules and these antibody molecules are positioned on immune cells that are called mast cells and basophils mm -hmm. when they recognize and bind multivalently meaning that single peanut protein will bind to multiple of these antibodies and cause a clustering, a cross-linking effect, which starts, initiates a signaling cascade within those immune cells that signals the presence of a pathogen. These immune components, our immune system is designed to fight against, you know, pathogenic, you know, infections and viruses, mm -hmm. bacteria, you know, parasitic infections, etc. And so the immune system thinks that there's danger. And so it starts releasing these uh, molecules that are supposed to be killing and destroying, uh, you know, invading foreign object. Uh, but in the end, what happens is there isn't anything to attack. And because this happens systemically, which means it happens all throughout the body, all throughout the tissues at the same time, it ends up being this anaphylactic shock. Mm -hmm. For the patient who is uh, yeah, experiencing this condition, unfortunately, hmm. and yes, it becomes potentially lethal and 
multiple EpiPen injections and rush to the ERs, how we treat these conditions typically. If you are someone who is allergic to peanuts or whatever the, the allergen is, your uh, immune system has that cross-linking, whereas someone who, who doesn't, it, it doesn't occur in, in their bodies. Do I have that roughly right? Correct. Right. So, for example, I don't have any allergies for peanuts. When I eat peanuts, the protein is going to my system as, you know, just like it would with someone who has the allergic condition, but my immune system doesn't react to it. Hmm. It knows that it is not a dangerous pathogen that it needs to react and, you know, defend off. Um, but for someone who has that condition, thinks that there is an invasion going on and uh, it's just an immediate response by the immune system, which ends up uh, damaging self tissue. Mm -hmm. And you, you alluded to it, but uh, give us kind of the, the rundown. How do we treat these things typically? It's usually after the fact, after the reaction is initiated, right? That's correct. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, currently uh, there is, I mean, uh, what commonly is done is just you avoid the allergen at all costs mm -hmm. and uh, there's only one medication that's called an IgE depletion therapy. It's, uh, it's a medication that clears out all these IgE antibodies, the antibodies that recognize the allergen altogether, the whole class of antibodies from the subject's you know, circulation. And that's one way of treating it. But you know what people found out was, I want, for one thing, it's very expensive. And the other thing is that shutting down a component of the immune system clearly is not a good idea because it's right. defending off pathogens as well as doing surveillance for cancers and you know other abnormalities within our own uh, you know body. And so eliminating those antibodies usually ends up with a side effect, undesirable side effects. Um, but typically, you, most people, I mean, almost everyone with a peanut allergy would not ever consider an IgE depletion therapy. What families do is just have drastic measures to make sure that their children, the child, is not exposed to the allergen at all costs. Mm -hmm. And that causes a lot of anxiety, especially for a young child who's growing up and just learning about the world. And they're just learning that things around them can be lethal for them. Mm. Things that, you know, their peers, their friends can enjoy, eat, right, have fun with, are lethally dangerous for them. So they grow up in this uh, mind of anxiety that affects the family, affects the child, and um, it causes a lot of frustration. More with Bashar after the break. With a Side of Knowledge is a podcast from Notre Dame that embodies a simple guiding principle. Everything's better with brunch. Our show features informal conversations between host Ted Fox, that's me, and all manner of scholars, makers, and professionals from both the university and elsewhere. We record each episode over a meal or coffee, ambient noise and all. You can find With a Side of Knowledge at provost.nd.edu slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. So, uh, like I mentioned, one me method of doing this is to just eliminate and shut down that immune system component altogether. But because it didn't make sense to us, <laughs> we wanted to be much more specific and precise in eliminating that response. And so 
specifically the antibodies that only those antibodies that recognize the peanut allergen are going to be inhibited. And our inhibitors are designed to go and find those antibodies, block them off, so that if a patient or someone with this condition, when they're exposed to the peanut allergen, will behave the same way that my immune system does. Mm. Just no response because it doesn't see it. We blindfolded those antibodies mm. and uh, made them unsusceptible to recognize those allergens. Where do we go from here? Um, it stands to reason that if this works with one allergen, it could work with others. You talked about penicillin, some work being done there. Where, where do we go from here? Where, where I would like to go from here is to develop the uh, peanut allergens and test it in a clinical setting. But it is, it is a big gap between academic research and clinical trials. Mm. So we're trying to identify ways of making that leap from where we are to clinical trials. And for that, uh, well, it's going to come down to funding. Mm. If we can have enough funds to do the uh, basic you know, toxicology tests and how well it will function in, say, uh, non-human primates to see before we go into humans. Um, if we can do those tests, then I, hopefully the next stage will be actual clinical trials with a company setting, not through uh, us, but hopefully a right. company that will be spun off of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of other allergies, as more information become available, just like with the peanuts, uh, about the specific components that are responsible for the allergic reactions, we can use the same platform to develop our inhibitors, keep developing our inhibitors yep. to pinpoint those uh, uh, allergens and, and identify the inhibitors that could potentially help patients who suffer from them. And currently, in my lab, we're investigating uh, shellfish allergies. We're working with um, shrimp mm. and we're working with um, dust mite allergies for asthma. Um, We'll be looking at milk and you know other dairy and other you know allergens, but I of course you know everything takes time, mm -hmm. and training of the graduate students, and funding and availability of resources. In your dream scenario, where are we um, ten years from now? Oh, if everything works out, yeah, <laughs> in right. Ten years, hopefully we will have something available for uh, the patients in the clinic and, and 10 years would be, yes, it, it, it's possible to go through clinical trials and right. have something available in the clinic that doctors can prescribe in 10 years if everything works out from here on. Right, for as it often does, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Bashar, thank you very much. My pleasure, thank you. Hey everyone, it's Andy. Before we get to the second part of our show, I want to ask you a favor. If you enjoy Notre Dame stories, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Also, I want to let you know about a project that's on its way. Over the summer, we took a trip to the Holy Land to explore Notre Dame's evolving presence there. What we found was fascinating and thought-provoking. 
We're bringing this to you in a podcast docu-series we're calling Tantur, Hill in the Holy Land. Be looking for it later this academic year. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been hangry? It's a silly question, I know. We all have. There's something about hunger that doesn't just affect our bodies. It affects our emotions, too, and our concentration. It can be all-consuming. For a lot of the population, kids and adults, hunger, and by extension, hanger, is a temporary problem. In the grand scheme of things, it won't be long until we can get that next snack or meal, and we can start to normalize again and concentrate on life, and also, perhaps, apologize for how we treated people when we were hangry. But for 13 million kids in the U.S., hunger is a chronic issue. Many rely on schools for a solid breakfast and lunch and sometimes an after-school snack. But what about the weekends? Madison Primary is a Title I school. With a, uh, it fluctuates between 93 and 98% poverty. So we serve Hope Rescue Mission. We serve the homeless shelter. We serve the YMCA um, and two of the main project areas in South Bend School. That's Deb Martin, the principal at what's now Madison STEAM Academy in downtown South Bend. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math. And that name change is the first thing you should know about Madison. That despite certain socioeconomic challenges and dealing with sometimes transient populations, this is a school that was failing, but is turning it around. And a contributing factor to their turnaround is a pilot program that helps to deal with the hunger issue. As you can guess from the poverty rate Principal Martin referenced, a lot of students rely on Madison for their nutrition as well as their education. And that means after a long weekend, a lot of students would come to school thinking about anything but learning. So when your basic needs aren't being met, uh, your stomach's rumbling, you're hungry, you're hangry, as we see it as an adult, but you can't think about anything else. So academics are pushed aside. Uh, you know, all you're thinking about is when you're going to eat. You know, the kids will ask, do we have a snack? Do we have uh, anything that I can eat? Um, and, and we had a lot of behavior problems. We also, it attributes to our academic performance. If I can't focus on my math because all I'm thinking about is hungry or drawing pictures of a banana or food, then I'm not focusing on the learning aspect. Notre Dame's Office of Public Affairs reached out to Principal Martin to see if she would be interested in taking part in a pilot food rescue program. The basic concept is this. Savable food from university events is repackaged and delivered to families with kids at Madison. The program was a perfect fit and was actually something that we were looking uh, for. Uh, We were looking for a way to supplement our uh, food program in the evenings and uh, along the weekends because we knew that we had kids that were food deprived and we knew that we had um, kids that would come in Monday hungry. We also knew that we had kids that, even though we serve a great nutritionist lunch, in fact, we're a bronze ribbon uh, nutrition school, we also had kids that were still leaving hungry uh, because they were food deprived. So it was a program that we were looking for. When we sat down and we met, it was a perfect marriage. The food recovery portion is run by a company called Cultivate Culinary in partnership with Notre Dame Campus Dining. 
They take the usable leftovers, and with the help of volunteers, many of them Notre Dame student athletes, they assemble the meals in trays and freeze them. The frozen meals are delivered in insulated backpacks to kids' lockers at Madison. Here's Patya Hubbard, whose daughter gets one of the backpacks to take home over the weekend. Patya is a working mom. She actually teaches at Madison. Basically, on Friday afternoon after school, she gets a backpack in her locker, and pretty much she just brings it home with her. Um, she brings the backpack back after we uh, take it out, take the food out of it, and brings back the empty bag on Monday. They're really good meals. Um, I think they've had, like, roast in them before. I know they've had salmon. There's always a protein, a vegetable, and a starch, always. It's very important because I actually have other kids at home, too, so it helps out a lot around the house. If I'm tired or if I have a lot of paperwork to do at home, then it's easy meals that we can prep for them, and I know that they're nutritious, so I don't have to worry about, like, giving them cereal or something that's just kind of, like, snack-type food, and it's healthy, so I, I appreciate it. Notre Dame's Shaw Center for Children and Families is evaluating the program to measure effectiveness of the concept and operation, as well as the impact in the classroom. On that first part, no question, this is a feasible program that is effective in getting food into the hands of families that need it. On the last part, maybe Principal Martin is as good an evaluator as any. We are seeing in our kindergartners especially that the first thing they come in, they're more relaxed. They're not rushing uh, to sit down and eat that breakfast. So they're not running from the cafeteria to the classrooms because we do um, uh, breakfast in the classrooms. Um, They're actually more calm and social during that breakfast time. I think this program, not only does it it help the kids and and the families that it serves, but I think this is going to be a new trend. If you think about all the food that is wasted and all the hungry people there are, not, not just kids, but there's hungry adults. You know, every, every community, every, every town has a population that is food deprived. And I think this is something that is going to be exciting to fill a void and a need that every community has. Notre Dame Stories is produced by the Office of Public Affairs and Communications. Our theme music is by Alex Mansour. 